storied franchise. And the New York Islanders have won their fourth straight Stanley Cup. All-time NHL greats. He caught that under the line. Goes to the left side, shoots and scores! He is all alone as the leading NHL goal-scoring defenseman. Tonelli to Nystrom, he scores! Bob Nystrom scores the goal. The Islanders win the Stanley Cup. This is Talkin' Isles with Greg Picker and Corey Wright. We welcome you into another edition of Talkin' Isles, the New York Islanders' official interview-based podcast hosted by myself, Greg Picker, the Islanders' radio color commentator, and joined alongside by senior writer for NewYorkIslanders.com, Corey Wright. Corey, this week we go back into the media side of things in the Islanders' world. We were joined by Shannon Hogan, who, of course, has been the TV host and reporter for the Islanders on MSG since the 2014-15 season. She has really been a fixture at Islander games and part of the Islander community ever since. A very talented broadcaster, a really great person. Uh, always thought of her as having someone with a really big heart and a moral compass and really, really good on TV as well. So really fun to talk to her, not only about her time covering the Islanders, but also, you know, her background. I don't think people realize that she was a collegiate swimmer and that she used to be kind of on the local news side of things beforehand. So really fun to chat with someone that you and I get the pleasure of talking to a lot around the rink and on road trips, but kind of getting a little bit more of Shannon's backstory. We'll take it away with Shannon Hogan. The Isles are happy to be back on home ice in front of their great fans here at UBS Arena at Belmont Park. They painted the garden blue and orange with a huge win on Thursday night and look to bring that energy right here inside at UBS Arena. Hello, everyone. Welcome inside UBS Arena. I'm Shannon Hogan. Puck drop between the Islanders and the Dallas Stars is coming your way. We now welcome in Shannon Hogan from MSG Networks to the Talking Isles podcast. Shannon has been with MSG on the Islanders broadcast since 2014. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, we like to go back to the start. So just initially, at what age did you say, I want to become a broadcaster one day and even more specifically, a sports broadcaster? I was actually talking about this story at a barbecue last night, Greg, and I I think I'm pretty sure I can date it back. I was eight. I don't know how you guys were, but like I knew pretty early on that this is what I wanted to do. I can't say that I specifically wanted to be a sports broadcaster because I'm old-er. Not old. Old-er than both of you. And so there weren't a ton of women that were doing like regional type stuff even. Like, you, you know, you saw a couple people sideline, but my idol kind of growing up was Katie Couric. So there was this blend of wanting to maybe one day, maybe be like a morning person, you know, personality. Kathy Lee and um, Regis and Kathy Lee was a lot of fun when I was young. I remember my mom watching that. But I always loved sports. And I grew up in, a, I would say, like a sports house. Like we were very big into college sports. My mom went to Ohio State. My dad went to Gonzaga. So we were really into it growing up. And um, I was pretty sure that I wanted to do something in which I had to hold a microphone. There are videos, childhood videos of me running around with those microphones that predate the ones that are like the frozen ones now that if you give anybody with children, they'll hate you forever. So I had one of those. And um, I was pretty sure just I, I love talking to people. I, I like the idea of of kind of being in the mix of activities. And um, so at eight years old, I pretty much thought that that would be a really cool job. And 
by the time I was in high school, I was pretty sure. I went to school for journalism. So I knew at that point that that was the path I was taking. So Shannon, it's funny you say that because in preparation for this, and obviously we've known you pretty well the last couple of years, but you know, going back and just putting your name into YouTube, I got some old local news oh, highlights. No. Unbelievable the amount of rain and wind that was going on. I'm not sure if you've been able to see the video of me where I was actually holding the iPhone out, blowing me over, pelt-sized hail. And oh, I no. was gonna say, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about that hair? How bad is that hair? Well, I well first I was wondering. I don't know if you watch John Oliver's show, but if you ever see those compilations where they have like all the local news, you know, when they're doing like Halloween prep and all that kind of thing, it's just the compilations yeah. there. So, uh, you know, what yeah. was it like doing local news, and then you know, talk about working in some of those small markets, and then kind of making that transition into sports. We have breaking news coming out of Salinas, California this morning. Two people were trapped in a fire, but they got out safely. Um, I loved working in news and here's why it it brought me to sports and I say this all the time you have to be a super special person to work in news and be good at your job and I tip my cap I'm so grateful for my job and being able to like bring joy to people even when the Islanders lose it's like a good part of your day and that's what I realized I wanted to be a part of but news and good journalism is so valuable and working in a newsroom right out of college. I went to University of Missouri, School of Journalism, amazing. Any kids listening, you're looking for J schools, go, just do it. Tell your parents you can get in-state tuition after two years, just do it. And I felt very prepared. Went to a small market in California, um, like market 123. And it was really, my parents were like, you're, like, you have no idea how lucky you are because I was on the central coast of California. So you were right there. I was living like, a mile from Pebble Beach. I was two hours from San Francisco and I had a really weird television market that had both sports. So I was doing sports in the weekend, high school sports, US Open kind of, you know, which was great, like big events, but also in Salinas in the Valley, it was very quickly understood working those shows, you know, when I was in news as a reporter that I had to be very careful about what I was wearing and that kind of got things real very quickly. So I, I felt like it gave me the opportunity to work on being a journalist, to understand what I really liked, to work as a team because I was in a newsroom. And if you haven't seen the show Newsroom, it's, it's on HBO, I don't know how many years ago. Did you guys, did you guys watch that? How many years ago did that air? It was like 10 years it, ago? I think it's getting up there a little bit. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm show. like... I'm yeah, I'm 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 derailing. But bottom line is like watch that because I literally have throwbacks and that's on a much much larger scale. But yeah, I mean I did everything from high school football and high school basketball to the US Open to the 2010 World Series to wildfires. And I thought it was a great stepping stone working in local news because I love going live. Like I thrive on going live and while in television and in radio, there's always something that can go wrong. You know, you can lose a camera, you can lose a microphone. Like I know, obviously, like our producers don't want anything to go wrong, but when it does, I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm like, I'm like back in, you know, back in the old days. I'm like, all right, just come to me. I have a report, like it'll be fine. Everything's good. So I'm really grateful for that time in California. I was there for two years. I made some of my closest friends in the business because we were all doing it in that first job where you like made no money, 
you were away from your family, you were working crazy hours, and you just kind of had to lean on each other. So it was a great experience for me. But the bottom line was I realized that I did not have the mental, emotional capacity to be a real hard news reporter. And I'm very grateful that I was able to transfer my talents and passion full time to sports because there aren't that many sports jobs at all. So the fact that I was able to, to make that jump was, was really lucky on my part. And we know growing up and even into your college days, you were a pretty high level swimmer. Can you just share some of that from growing up? And I believe you were featured in some local newspaper stories about your accolades as a swimmer and, you know, maybe share that side of uh, your life that Islanders fans might not be aware of. Yeah. I mean, right now I feel like I think a lot of my identity obviously is being a mom and a wife and being connected with the Islanders, you know, as working for MSG as a, that's Shannon. I'm, you know, a sports reporter. But for most of what I think of my life until I was in my 20s, it was, oh, that's Shannon. She's a swimmer. Oh, you know, the one that's a swimmer. Because that was a huge part of my identity. I started swimming, you know, seven, eight years old. And I think my parents knew I, I was, you know, pretty passionate about, I, I was a water bug to begin with, right? And I remember my mom saying like, oh, no, we missed the tryouts. We actually missed those tryouts because she knew like a swim parent and hockey parents have a lot in common. Like those early mornings, you're driving your kid and you're like, Ugh, it's either cold or you're sweating to death in a pool. So uh, they were very supportive. But in the beginning, they were like, we know we're opening a can of worms. So I went on to, I, I was um, high school All-American. I um, got a scholarship to University of Virginia. I swam there for a year and we won ACCs when we were their ACC champions. Um, and then I really decided that I really needed to go to a, a different kind of journalism school. Um, so we transferred to University of Missouri and finished my, my swimming um, career there. It was all Big 12 when it was a Big 12 school. And I was the captain of the um, team my senior year. I held a school record for a hot flash in the pan until some new bathing suits came out and kids got faster. And I went to nationals, I think my junior year, which is Olympic trials every four years. So no, I could never beat Katie Ledecky ever. Even if I like wanted to, she was, she's unbelievable and she's at a totally different level, but um, it was a huge part of my life. And I think that discipline really transferred well into my professional career. And I actually miss it. Like, it's a lot of time to get in the pool and there aren't a ton of places on Long Island to do it. But funny story, the only time I'd ever been to Long Island before I like came out and when I had accepted the job was I swam in at the U S open right at Eisenhower park in 2000, they had the U S open swimming championships there. And I remember like, I, I looked back and I had pictures and I was like, that's so cool that, you know, I was here on Long Island, like, a decade, 15 years really, before I ended up making this my home. I'm sure the Eisenhower Park has probably not changed a lot, save for uh, Northwell <laughs> Health Ice Center uh, popping up. But Shannon, before we get to your time with the Islanders, you were talking about being away from home, working in small markets in California, making that kind of jump back up, uh, climbing the ladder on the TV side, getting to work for Fox Sports Detroit. You know, you're from Michigan. What was it like getting to cover some of the home teams there and spending a lot of time in Detroit covering, I guess, the Tigers, the Red Wings, all that? It was awesome. I mean, it was really, really awesome. I, when I called my parents and said I had an interview, I was like, Mom, don't get excited. Because, you know, it's 
it's one thing to tell your friends like, oh, my daughter works in television, but you can't see anybody. If you're, you know, that was like, no one was like doing the YouTube back then. You weren't streaming things from California. So it was really cool when I went back home because you could be at a, my parents would be like at a bar and I'd come on with a report for the Tigers. And I think my mom cheered or clapped like the first two years that that happened. Then I was like, okay, mom, you can't, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> but the Tigers were great when I was there, which was really, really exciting. And Fox Sports Detroit was, I learned so much being at Fox Sports Detroit. I was also really, really lucky to work with some other great, you know, sportscasters and, and journalists. You know, John Keating, who's a mentor of mine, had been at Fox Sports for years. It was really instrumental in, in saying like, hey, listen, like, it's okay if you don't know everything. And I think there's this feeling in, in sports where you just like have to have all the numbers, you have to have all the stats. He was like, it's okay if you don't understand a rule change just ask it's better to ask somebody that knows and and find out the answer and be able to communicate that correctly to viewers than to just like muscle your way through and pretend like you know so I really learned a lot of of really valuable lessons from him is a really creative writer and, and had a lot of humor in his shows which I think is so important when you're um, on air because yeah there's the x's and o's but you also want people to be having a fun time and laughing and we certainly do a lot of that with MSG. I had a great pleasure of covering Nick Lidstrom and being there for his retirement ceremony. The Red Wings made the playoffs. They were on their like consecutive playoff streak when I was there. And, and that was really awesome. And Islanders fans are unbelievable. But there's, there's something really unique and interesting about being in a, an old building like Joe Luce Arena and the Coliseum. Like, for fans that have experienced those two buildings, they understand how special that is. And so I kind of felt like it was an easy jump going from, you know, going from the Joe to the people be like, oh, the Coliseum's kind of old. And I'm like, I'm coming from Joe Lewis. Come on. Like, it's fine. I know what this is like. And the Tigers, and I traveled with the Pistons for a year, Andre Drummond's rookie year. So it was awesome. I mean, I, I learned a ton. I still, you know, want those teams to do well when they're not playing against the Islanders just because, there's really good people in Detroit and a lot of that community's social life, almost all of it is surrounded by the sports there. You know, here on Long Island, we have so much entertainment. You have the city so close, you have the Islanders, you have the Mets, you have, you have all of this, right? But there's a, a lot of extra other things you can do for entertainment. In the winter in Detroit, when you don't see the sun for like, I don't know, maybe a month or two, it is all about the Red Wings and it's all about the Pistons and people are tuned in every single night. Like they are not missing a game. So it was really cool to be a part of that. You mentioned the transition to the Coliseum and your first year with MSG and the Islanders was 2014-15, the original yeah, I know. last year of the Coliseum. Yeah, the first so, last year. So how quickly did you learn what the building meant to the Islanders and their fans? And it was a year that had pretty high expectations and you got to meet all these legends because it felt like every home game, somebody was coming back to see the barn for what we thought at the time was their last time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for Islanders fans who have been longtime Islanders fans, there was talk about like those lean years or those years where like, you know, the team wasn't, wasn't great. I feel like I've, since I've joined what I would consider the Islanders family, they've always been in the mix and there's always been excitement. So I knew from the first game that I did covering the Islanders at the Coliseum that this was a special franchise and that the alumni were really special and that they want the team to be, the current team to be successful 
and that they genuinely like being with each other. I mean, I think there's something really special about the way that they still communicate and keep in touch and get excited to meet guys of, of other generations and other teams that weren't just the cup years and have relationships with the current players and wanted to see the old barn close the right way. And then the second time came back, you know what I mean? So uh, I knew really early on that the Coliseum was somewhere that was really, really special. It's that same level of excitement of going to UBS arena. Well, since we're talking about that first year at the Coliseum and I guess since we're also talking about the hazards of live TV or perhaps the excitement of live TV, really wanted to ask you about joy. No. Is that one? <laughs> oh, joy. I thought you were going somewhere else. I thought you were going somewhere else. We can talk about that after. Uh, just, you know, was that one of the stranger interviews you had done, at least up to that point? Or... And I understand let, that have been around just, for the last yeah, decade let, know who let, we're talking about. I'm, you guys, I literally almost died. The woman was a gem. She was a gem. The only thing that was better, first of all, she was so excited to be there. Second of all, she grabbed the microphone out of my hand. So, like, I felt like wrestling it away from her. She ended up, I think, on Fallon. Like, they did something on Fallon after. Joy was a highlight of my first year. I'm not going to lie. And the best part was, like, she was talking about her son being conceived, and he was standing right behind us. Like, he was standing right there. We were like... That's not exactly what you want to hear, you know, from your mom. But she was a passionate fan. And, and I, I appreciated a woman who was that pregnant going to a hockey game because I later on realized that that, that was going to be me. I was going to be the one, like, ready to pop at a game. Do you know how she even became an interview subject? How did that even come to be? Because we didn't I'm think that she was going to share that story. I'm not going to throw Jake McDonald under the bus, but I'm throwing Jake McDonald under the bus. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> in the best way. In the best way. I think he had come across her like, I should go back in my emails and see if I can find it. You know, we were looking for great stories that first year. We were looking to, to feature different season ticket holders. And I don't know if she had seen Jig somewhere. At, she was living in like California or Vegas or she wasn't even living on Long Island at the time. And she was coming in to do the game. So I don't know. You know, you guys know Jigs. He's amazing. He keeps in touch with everybody. So maybe she emailed him and said, hey, I'm a long, you know, original season ticket holder. And I went into labor at the, at the game. That story I was prepared for. You guys, I had pre-interviewed her. I called her that day to talk about what we were going to talk about. And then she dropped the conception story live after wrestling the microphone away from me on air. It was, it was television gold. It, it, it was television gold. I thought you were going to bring up, you guys, I seriously, I thought you were going to bring up the Anders Lee thing. And I was like, come on! Well, Anders and you have a connection going back to the CCHA days when he was yes, at Notre Dame. And yes. So One time I did freeze. People are like, oh, remember when you forgot Anders Lee's name? And I'm like, listen, what people don't understand is when you're on live television, there's also like an earpiece in your ear. And sometimes there's other conversations happening. And I will say that was one of my more embarrassing moments that was only made better by coming to the rink the next day. All the guys, you didn't see, all the guys the next day were wearing hello, my name is name tags. Fun fact, I went to Staples to get those. That was uh, a nice- Stop it! You did not! That was uh, (laughs) a nice little PR meeting. Hey, can you you go to Staples and uh, and get some of these? We got to poke some fun back at Shannon. You know what? I have thick skin and, you know, you never want to make a mistake on television. But 
I think it showed a lot about the character of that team and the organization that they were able to roll with me, knowing that I do know Anders Lee. Two tight games against Carolina, but to come away with this one with two points in regulation, what does that mean? Oh, it was a really gritty win for us. I mean, on a back-to-back -back in a tough environment, a team that plays really well at home. Uh, we just played a, a pretty good 60 minutes. Of all the guys in the team, he was the one I knew, whose name I definitely knew when I started because I had covered him when he was playing college hockey at Notre Dame. But, um, yeah, that's where I thought you were going, Greg. And I'm, I did not know that you were the one that went and got the name tags. Very cool. Well, some other uh, interviews I thought we wanted to talk about as well that I thought were pretty fun. And I was trying to find the clips, and I was really uh, disappointed that we couldn't find any of them on YouTube. So hopefully you have them or MSG still has them. When you went out for Russian food with Mikhail Grabowski and Nikolai Kuhleman, and then later the German uh, cuisine, I guess for lack of a better word, with Thomas Grice and Dennis Seidenberg, what was kind of the genesis of those interviews? And how much fun was it getting to kind of, you know, try those different foods with those guys. So much fun. So much fun. We had a great time. I'm going to go back to the Russian experience first, since we're going to be real here. Those guys were hilarious. And it's really, really hard sometimes to translate personality and emotion in a, you know, 30 second interview. And the ability to hang out with both of them for like three, four hours over a meal in their comfort zone where there were, waiters and other people at the restaurant that spoke their language was really, really special because I had the opportunity to kind of get to see them a little bit in their element and a little more comfortable and not have to like feel like they're carefully choosing their words. You guys, I was awful at my high school French. I can't imagine having to do an interview like those, like the Russian players do or even the French Canadian players have to do. What I remember most about that is like they made me eat cat. They made me eat. It was like fish, caviar. There were a lot of like things that I would not choose to eat that they were like. So there were a lot of things that they really, really loved to eat that I was like, I would never eat like cold fish, you know, like just like things that they had. But what I remember the most is that th those two were really good at working out and they were very like health conscious, but they were like determined and we're shooting this whole thing like all these different angles and asking questions they're like oh no but each each course you you need to you need to take a shot of vodka and when i tell you i got on the subway at the end of that when i looked at my producer and i was like thank god i don't have to drive anywhere because i had so much vodka <laughs> during the whole interview on the way home i had the worst headache i don't know what kind of vodka it was i don't know if it was because i was scared to eat like the cold fish and, and like caviar wasn't filling my stomach, but I, it was a long train ride back from, you know, to, to the city from, from Brooklyn. And I think secretly they had just said in cahoots that they thought it'd be hilarious to make me just take these shots of vodka while we were shooting this. But that was really, really fun with, um, with, with those guys. And then the German piece, I'm still bummed because the pandemic, I don't remember the, the exact timeline, but, the pandemic kind of had, we did that story where we were at the, um, the beer hall at Flatsch Deutsch and our producer, Jim Gallagher came up with the idea. He was like, Hey, there's a great, I think there's like a beer house. Like it'd be so fun if we had Dennis Seidenberg and, and Thomas Grice and we'll go out. And they were hilarious. Like Thomas Grice is one of those guys off camera. Who's very, very funny. And Dennis Seidenberg also great sense of humor, but they're so they're kind of dry sometimes. And we had a great time. I'm more annoyed that like at some point the pandemic happened and, 
it was very frowned upon to be in a place that could hold like, you know, a hundred and, you know, hundreds of people together in a big place like that, because it's an awesome venue. Like if you've not been there, I guess they, they'll air, they were airing like world cup games and that kind of stuff outside. But um, I'm just annoyed that I haven't, I honestly haven't been back because the food was great. The atmosphere was great. The owners were lovely and we had a great time. And I, I just feel like it, kind of fell in the beginning of maybe like six or seven months later we were in the pandemic and people weren't you know going out to big bars and stuff but um those ideas a lot of them came from Jim Gallagher our producer at the time was very uh creative and wanted to have those kind of features in and I like the the things where you feel like you get to know the players that's you know fans want to feel like they get to know them and so I thought that those were two really really fun ones we got to do I kind of forgot about the one in Brooklyn but that that was probably because of the vodka, but we had a good time. Well, you mentioned how things have changed during the course of the pandemic and, and you didn't do a face-to-face interview for probably a good 20 months or so. Can you just take us through some of those challenges as being a broadcaster and not having those interactions in the locker room and getting to know the guys and everything over the course of almost two full seasons? Yeah, I've actually had this conversation with other reporters in the postseason. We were talking about it, and I said I I felt really, really fortunate that I was covering a team like the Islanders where there were a fair amount of veterans. So there are a fair amount of guys on the team that I've just known, you know, for almost eight years now. It's hard when young guys come up because we don't talk to them usually their rookie year anyway. And all of a sudden you're like, it's been two years, and I'm like, have I done an interview with Kiefer Bellow? Like, I had to think about it. I was like, I did one before he was on the team, but, you know, you don't really get a chance to get to know players and establish a level of trust. And I think that trust is a really big word that the older guys, I hope, feel this way, and I think that they do, is that they know when they come to chat with me during an intermission or a pregame that, I'm looking to bring the the best out of them so that they can communicate what they're thinking, how they're feeling to the fans at home. I'm not trying to make anybody look bad. I'm not trying to stump you. That's not how I approach interviews. But establishing that trust and and that, you know, that give and take in an interview, that, that back and forth, that takes talking to people in person. And it's hard not being in the dressing room and getting the opportunity to talk to guys and getting the opportunity to talk about things that maybe aren't always hockey, black and white. How are your kids? How's your family? You know, those kinds of things kind of help establish a relationship. And I think that's what was, what's really been missing the last couple of years with the pandemic, not just in, in this realm, but in like the world. Like people are craving that personal connection. And I think it's very tangible in sports when you don't have it that the interviews are just not the same. So I'm looking forward to when they'll reopen the, um, the dressing room. And I hope that that's next year because I, you know, I miss having, having those interviews. Well, aside from joy, aside from the restaurants interviews, you know, when you look back at your Islanders MSG career, you know, what are some of the games and what are some of the interviews and personalities that really stand out to you? I've been asked that question a lot and people ask about my, my, um, the biggest moment, and I, I will never forget, but John Tavares was a wraparound goal in, uh, you know, at Barclays Center when they made it to the second round because I was down ice side standing next to Rick DiPietro, and he scored. And, you know, we're journalists. We're not supposed to celebrate. We 
I literally, I jumped. I think I hugged, I hugged Jimbo, who is the, the team's massage therapist. And I looked over and Rick DiPietro was jumping up and down, hugging a security guard that he did not know. I mean, they were hugging, embracing, jumping up and and. I just remember this like feeling of pure joy looking around at everybody else doing the same thing, high-fiving, hugging, crying, like cheering, banging on the glass. The guys, I think that emotion of being there for that and knowing how hungry the fans and the players were for years and years for a game and a win like that, that was something that was really, really special. I mentioned Katie Ledecky before, um, obviously John Ledecky's niece. She might be the person I was the most nervous to interview. I interviewed her one time on the road, like in a sweet box. I think we were in Washington, D.C. maybe. And that was like a huge deal for me personally, just because I, you know, of her swimming accolades and having been a swimmer. So that was, that was really exciting. You know, I, I don't, I don't think I can get too emotional um, now about it, but um, I'll miss interviewing Clark. You know, um, we had a lot of fun when he came on the show and he came on a lot and I even, we even had him on, you know, months before he passed away. And I just, I don't wish I had done anything different because I think he knew how everybody felt about him, but it, um, I don't think I ever realized that that would be the last time that we would do an interview. And I'm. I look at those interviews with those alumni very differently now, knowing how special they are, not just for me, but for the fans at home and knowing how um, fragile life really is that you, you don't really know how long you're going to have. And Islanders fans lost three good ones, three really great people this year. And I, I think that's put things into perspective of, I, I will never take those alumni interviews for granted. Well, we also did want to ask, though, about some of the personalities that you've been able to get to know on the MSG side of things and some special people that you've been able to work with. And, and we'll start with AJ Maletsko and how you've been able to just work so well with her and, and the entire team. But, you know, what are some things maybe you've learned from her and, and enjoyed about working with her in particular? I could also cry talking about AJ because she's just the coolest person I know. She really is the coolest person I know. She is so unbelievable as a human. That's the first thing. She's so unbelievable as a human. And we've become, I consider her a, a, a good friend. She knows the game so well. And she's so willing to share what she knows. Like, she's so generous with her knowledge. Obviously, she was, a, you know, an elite player in her own right, having one's NCAA championship with Harvard and was on the first U.S. women's team to win an Olympic gold medal. But she's just so fun and easy to be with. She loves hockey at all levels. She loves watching the women's game. She loves watching the NHL. She likes watching and coaching her kids play. Like, she's so ingrained in the sport. It's infectious. She will, nine times out of ten, quite possibly, show up with, like, a cowlick and maybe she still needs to put her makeup on and she definitely is going to be pulling like a blazer or a top or something out of like a backpack. Like I love that about her that it's not about what you're, what you're wearing, even though she's stunningly beautiful and always looks amazing. We just have a lot of, a lot of fun. I love her insight between the benches and her ability to 
to describe what she's seeing for the game so seamlessly as it's happening. I think a, a lot of people can be analysts, but her ability to do that between the benches is something that's really special. And also she has fun doing it. So um, I'm very, very, I'm also grateful because she's a, a mom, a working mom. And for me, navigating that has been wonderful and amazing, but also I've learned a lot from her and, and how she's been doing it and knowing that I'm not alone, that even when your kids are a little bit older, you still have some of those same feelings and, and questions and thoughts about, you know, are you doing the right thing? Am I around enough? Have I done enough? You know, so I, AJ is just, I cannot say enough amazing things. I'm so happy for all of her national success and that other people are getting a chance to see her not just when she does the olympics and and on msg and i hope that we are colleagues for a long long time and friends for even longer one of my favorite aj i guess bits it's almost like a bit at this point where she just posts the pictures of the rotten food in her house uh, when she's away for the playoffs <laughs> and the kids are just not touching any fruit and vegetables so shout out to yeah. aj there i love that bit you know msg between having, you know, AJ and Jen, especially a couple of years ago, and just kind of really, you know, opening up a lot of those kind of opportunities for more just women broadcasters and analysts, just, you know, what did you think of all that? And the fact that that was probably a big story in 2018 and is obviously now just really a very normal part of Islander broadcast and, you know, some of the best in the league. I was thrilled about it. I mean, when, when it came up, it, no one asked, no one really was like, Hey, what do you think about this? It was, you know, MSG and the Islanders in a partnership made, made that decision that that was a priority. And it was, I think for them, I think they were like, you know, people are like, how do you do it? How, you know, you're a woman, you're a mom, you know? And I think for them, it was just that they knew the game, they knew hockey. And Jen is in the, in the same level of professionalism as I would say AJ. And it's been amazing. I mean, she's been so busy during the postseason. People in Canada have the pleasure of watching her on Sportsnet. And obviously she's been on the TNT broadcast throughout the season. And I love watching her on the panel, um, especially because of, you know, just what she's able to convey. I feel really, really lucky that I had the opportunity to work with both of them and that the two of them had a, a special relationship as former teammates playing at Harvard, but also rivals playing for Canada and Team USA. But, you know, to me, people were like, oh, this is so, you know, earth shattering. And to me, it was more just like, oh, these are two more fun people to work with, you know? And, and I never really tried to think of it as like, you know, oh, we're, you know, three women on our broadcast. But looking at it, it really started to set in when more and more young girls were coming over and wanting to say hello and wanting to see AJ and wanting to see Jen and whether they played hockey or not saying, we want to do what you're doing or, you know, we're playing hockey. We want to, you know, play in the Olympics. I think that connection with women only further intensified once the two of them joined our broadcast. And continuing on some of the personalities that have been added to MSG, how about Anson Carter? Such a huge part of the broadcast this past year. How much fun is he to have? Oh my gosh. It's a party anytime Anson's there. He is hilarious. Whoever brought the cowbell, like it got to the point where I was like, if Anson's not here, we can't do the cowbell because I can't hear myself think. Like <laughs> when Ants is there, I'm just giggling and we're having a great time and we're breaking things down. You know, he has one of those magnetic personalities, obviously having played the game for as long as, you know, he did a decade in the league. And then, you know, having that television background, it was awesome. I loved working with him. He's so funny. One of the things that I really enjoy about um, working with Anson that actually Rick DiPietro had a similar 
trait. And I don't know if you can teach this in TV. I think it's part of it's just who you are as a person. I never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. Like, it was so fun. to, And some people might not like that as a broadcaster, but, like, I loved it. And I knew whatever I threw at him, whether we talked about it in the commercial break or not, he knew what it was. or He, he would have an answer hockey-wise because he knows the game. But, like, he was going to have fun with it. And, like, there were times where we'd be – I'd be doing highlights or something, and I'd look over, and he'd had something in his hand, and I'm like, what is he doing now? What is he doing now? But I think it kept it really fresh this year in a year where, you know, there was going to be some disappointment when it looked like they weren't going to make the playoffs and ultimately didn't. And reminder that hockey's fun, you guys. It should be fun. It's disappointing when they don't make a big, deep run. But at the end of the day, we want to tune in. We want to have some fun watch some hockey and um and I think Anson really brings that he brings the the knowledge out of it but he also brings the fun which I have a great respect for well I'm glad you were also bringing up some old Rick DiPietro uh on-air broadcasting (laughs) because I remember when he used to have that crazy blazer that I think he would bring out just to be like a rally blazer and would do the uh the old van down by the river uh bit yep definitely remember that uh, against the Panthers in the playoffs, he, that he bit, bit the, the head off the. You guys, he did not tell me he was going to do that, and and we're in this like tiny room that was a thousand degrees, in this little like studio or whatever in um in Florida, and when he bit the head off that, I could not believe it. I could not believe it, and I also had a view of like the audio guy and the and the photographer in the room with us who also were like, "Who is this guy? He's wild." But that's Rick. That's just how he is. It's not like a. It is a shtick, but it's not. That's that's his personality. And we've kept in touch over the years. I'm thrilled for his success and um, happy to be watching him on ESPN as well. Uh, we had so much. I mean, what about you guys? What about the time where he ripped his shirt open and in the inside it said, the grice is right? <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. Well, I, I wanted to ask as well, after, you know, all this time with the Islanders, do you speak fluent butch now? Yes. Not only do I speak fluent butch, my husband does. Um, because the first year I would come home and my husband would have something in his notes, like list in his notes. We weren't married that first year, obviously, but he would have notes in his thing of like, can you explain? And like, they're all the butchisms. And I was like, yes, I can explain what this means, what this means. It was really fun when we started doing those, um, like uh, little on ice demos because then I think you even got a further understanding of, of where Butch was going. He is so special at what he does and also one of those people that's super generous about their knowledge. I love it. I, you know, I don't care if he calls somebody Spurgeon. I don't, I don't care if he, I don't, it, it, it's all a part of Butch being Butch. And I loved listening to him on the national broadcast because it's it's really amazing if you think about what he has done in his career to win four Stanley Cups, to then go into coaching, and then to transition and have a whole nother career as an elite broadcaster, having not been trained as a broadcaster. Like, that's really amazing to do that. We, we went to college to do this, you guys. You know, we had to work really hard. He has had, like, three separate careers in his life, and has been pretty successful uh, most of them very successful as a player obviously but um a dear dear friend i love him i love everything he does 
I mean, with all the travel that this job encompasses, especially as we get more towards the normal type of season going forward again, it's like having your uncle around 41 games on the road, plus obviously everything at home at all times. That's what well, he's is. fun too. Yeah, I know. He, and you guys know he's fun. He wants to grab a glass of wine. We're going to have a good meal. We're gonna, and, he want, and he talks hockey. I mean, we sit and he will talk about the game. He'll look, you know, he is so smart. And if he's not out having, you know, a, a meal with you, he's in the room watching the game. He's on the plane watching the game. I mean, he consumes so much hockey. And I know Brendan's the same way and obviously the ultimate pro and the two of them together are such a fantastic dynamic duo, but they bring they, I think they do bring the best out of each other. Yeah. Butch isn't his ritual the night before a game to like get a pizza and just hang out in the hotel and study up on one of the teams. Yeah. yeah he's like, I'm just going to watch hockey. It depends on, depends on where we are. If, he, if he's got a friend, you know, a friend in town, obviously, but um, you know, he, he, he watches, he watches every game. He'll watch the game. Whoever we're playing, he'll watch their two games before. It's it's unreal what he's able to, you know, it, it it's a lot of work that goes into it. He doesn't just show up. He's prepared every night. Anyway, Shannon, the last couple of years, uh, unfortunately, didn't end in, in Stanley Cup parades, but some long runs in the playoffs for the Islanders in 2020 in the bubble and 2021, a little bit more normal when we had fans back in the seats and were able to actually experience the excitement in person in the playoffs again, but just from your perspective, you know, how much fun was that being able to, to be a part of the ride, whether it was just being in the studio in MSG in the city or actually being there in person again at the Coliseum. It's always better to be in person, but I'm happy for the team's success because they'd been through so much. Everybody really had been through so much. And I think Ultimately, the runs that the last two runs that they went on were so needed. I mean, people needed sports. They needed something to be excited about. And they needed to feel connected. And whether you were watching the team at home on your couch or, you know, after they, you know, the, last year when you were able to go to the games, like people want to feel connected and part of a group. And I feel like as isolating as this pandemic has been for a lot of people, the sports is what's brought people together. And being an Islanders fan, it's brought people together. So, Thrilled to be a part of it. Disappointed it's not happening this year. It is what it is. You can't change it. I'm not going to go down in the dumps about it. I still think there's some really, really super talented players on this team. I think they can. I, I think they easily, with the schedule and a lot of other X factors, could have made a similar run this year. I think a lot of the playoffs is just getting in, being hot and healthy, and I just don't think the Islanders had that mix this season. But I'm, I'm certainly not down on them and, and very excited about next year. You know, this year was obviously the first year at UBS Arena, you know, for you and the broadcast positions, you know, comparing where you were at the Coliseum to having, you know, that perch at Barclays to now kind of being in and amongst the fans in that big, great hall at UBS. Just, you know, what was that first season at the new building like for you and for, you know, where you're broadcasting? I don't think either of you guys experienced this because I think both of you were out on your broadcast career, but a lot of kids on Long Island that are listening might understand what this feels like because it's so expensive to live in New York City. I'm coming around to the fact that like no one wants to be the kid that moves home and is in the basement, right? Like you just don't want to be living in the basement. It's it's just not as exciting. No one comes to visit you. The, the, the kitchen's upstairs. That's how I felt at the Coliseum. Like it was fine, but no one came to visit me. Very few people came down there. 
I love being in the great hall. I want to see people coming through. I want to feel like I'm part of the action. I want, you know, you can get a vibe for the building and what's happening. It's an amazing location. UBS Arena is stunning. And I've been to all the, all the arenas except for Seattle. I've been to all the arenas and, and it's right up there with the best of the best, not just in the NHL, but all other sports venues. And it's so fun being able to be right there and see people's faces when they're first coming up those stairs to see the arena for the first time and just the excitement that they have and the kids and the families and people who had never been to a hockey game to people who have been season tickets forever. Love the new location. I cannot say enough good things about where we are in that set and being able, you know, I, I watched the game. I kind of just cut across and I'm able to watch it right there. It's not as, as far as a run for me as some other buildings I've been in, but no, I, I love it. I love the new venue and I hope my basement joke lands, but somehow I'm feeling like it didn't, but you know what I mean? Like no one wants to be stuck in the basement. That was our basement as a collective Long Island, the Coliseum. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, thank you so much again for joining us. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and we know a lot of stories that the Islanders fans will love to hear. Well, thank you again for joining us on another edition of Talk at Isles. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you might listen. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Greg Picker here, and I am at Rightsway. You can follow all the latest info about the team on Twitter at NY Islanders and stay up to date on UBS Arena at ubsarena.com. A big thank you to our producer, Rachel Lusher, and to WRAQ at Hofstra University. And we'll see you next time on Talking Isles.